Okay, so we're reading from uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. If I can get my phone to tilt the right direction. <laughs> and it is subtitled, Ruth and Boaz at the Threshing Floor. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We've been in the uh, book of Ruth, right? We've been following this story, and, and uh, if, if this is your first time with us this month, and you haven't been with us the last couple of messages, uh, here's a little update. Here's what's been going on. Um, uh, Naomi, uh, this woman in the, in the story, that, uh, this part of the story that you just heard about, was married to a man named Elimelech. There was a famine in the land of Israel in, near Bethlehem where they lived, and they moved to a foreign land, to the land of Moab, because uh, essentially, if you want to put it this way, their cupboards were empty. They had no food. They needed to find something. So they go there. While there, she loses her husband. Her husband dies. Her sons marry women who are from Moab. Then they die. And now she's left with an empty house. She had an empty empty cupboards. Now she has an empty home. And therefore, no hope 
But one of her daughters-in-law says, I'm going to come home with you because Naomi is planning to come back to her hometown because God has visited her people. But Naomi tries to dissuade her. No, go home and find rest with your own people. Ruth insists. She says, no, I, I will be with you. I will follow you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So she returns home. But Naomi is bitter. The circumstances in her life have decimated her. She has no hope. She's empty of all her, her, of her husband and her sons. She has nothing but a daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now how is she going to feed Ruth and herself? How are they going to make it? Well, in chapter 2, we're introduced to a worthy man, Boaz. And they got there just in time because it is harvest season. It's the time for going out into the fields and reaping the harvest, the, the barley and the wheat. And Ruth meets this man, Boaz. And Boaz says, Hey, I know who you belong to. You're, you're Naomi's daughter-in-law. I've heard about you. And why don't you stay with my workers in my fields all season long? I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll even give you bonus. <laughs> bonus grain. Bonus um, uh, uh, food. And at the end of chapter 2, right before we heard... We heard the story today. We find them uh, there together. Um, Naya, or uh, excuse me, Ruth is continuing to glean all the way through the harvest, living with her mother-in-law. The whole story up to this point, and maybe you saw some hints of it um, in in what we read today. The whole story is is a is an interesting um, tale of. Of, of circumstances. Uh, this happens to happen, and then that happens to happen, and they go here and there, and the characters, they seem to be tossed about by their circumstances and by maybe the actions of other people. Um, Ruth, in fact, we're told in chapter 2, just happened to glean in the part of the, the field, the big community field, just happened to be in the part of that community field that belonged to Boaz. And we're, we're, we're led to, to understand, the narrator is trying to help us to see that there are, there are can I say this, forces at work Ooh. That, that don't seem to be Human, they, uh, something's going on here. In other words, all this mention about the Lord bless you. Ah, the Lord be good to you. Ah, the, may the Lord do this for you. All of these, these incidental comments that we could easily take as just cultural uh, norms, cultural greetings, are really a hint that something else is going on here. Have you ever... Um, uh, 
maybe think about some of the circumstances of your own life. I, I tried to do this, and I, there are just so many. It was hard to, to pinpoint one event, uh, one situation in my life where the people around me were part of God's purposes, God's plans for me. It, ha- it happens over and over. I, I mean, I-, I saw that this week in my interactions with people. I heard the testimonies. I- I- I've heard them over and over again. How God uses people. Just, um, just yesterday, I was sitting with the, the group of-, of Army and Air Force chaplains and we were talking about ministry experience and, and I... I was struggling because I, I, I said, here's, here's something that, uh, that I experienced this past month in a, ministry, in a ministry setting. And I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was struggling. But the message that I heard back was, God was using you even though you felt like you were inadequate. Even though you felt like you didn't speak the right words. And I feel that almost all of the time. But the reality is that we as human beings are being used by God. And, and don't take that to mean God's the little puppet master pulling the strings, making us say things, making us do things, and that we're just, oh, we, what's going on? We, we in, in the course of our lives, in the choices that we make, in our volition, in our own wills, God is redeeming others through us. In fact... Here's the big idea. It came to me in the middle of the night, as many ideas do. Here's my 3 a.m. idea, guys. Some of you, some of you guys who have been trained in preaching. When, when your deacon calls you up at 3 a.m. in the morning, on Sunday morning, and wakes you up out of your sleep and asks you, what's the message about today? You're like, I don't... You better have something. And here it is. God redeems through human means. Okay, that even has a little rhyme there. I, I, I did, it just came to me, and I'm just going with it, okay? I, I'm not really that clever, but let's just go with it. Maybe you'll remember that. God redeems through human means. Ruth is a story of redemption, okay? We established that right off the bat. We, talk, we like to talk about redemption because it means people who are in bondage, people who are in slavery, people who are, who are in desperate circumstances are brought out of those circumstances. That's what God does. That's what He's done for us in Christ. He's brought us out of, of those circumstances. We love talking about redemption here at the River Church. And this story is a story of redemption. But the reality, the truth is, and we see it all through the Bible, and we see it in our own lives, is that God redeems through human means. Let's look at the characters in the story. We'll just work our way through. The, the, uh, the narrator has done a really great job of laying it out here for us. First, he tells us about what Naomi's up to. Naomi sought rest for Ruth. That's right off the bat. Um, Naomi... Her mother-in-law. Now, here, here we are. We're at the end of the harvest, okay? Here's what's going on. Ruth is no longer going out to the fields gleaning. She is no longer coming back with grain. 
She already did that. She collected what she could every day and she brought it back and they cooked it up and they ate it and they, they may have some of it stored up, but what are they going to do all winter long? How are they going how, how to manage? Well, Naomi looks at her daughter and says, Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? What is she saying? She's not looking to buy her a new king size Serta sofa or Serta, you know, whatever mattress. She's not looking to, to get her a, a quiet room. Let's, let's get an addition in the room so you have a place to rest uh, or in the home. No, she's, she, what she's saying is you need to be settled. You need to be secure. You need to find stability. What's the implication there? You need a husband. You need a husband. You, you won't find rest, Ruth, until you have a husband so you can bear children, so they can grow up, they can take care of you, so that you will have a legacy to pass on, so that you have, will have a life of hope. Because without those things in this culture, you don't have it. That's what she's looking for. She was looking for that originally, remember? Go home, Ruth. Go, go back to your, your hometown. Go back to your family so you can find rest there. You can find a husband there. Ruth said, no, I don't want to go back there. I want to be with you. I, I want to follow your God. I want to be part of your people. And now Ruth is there, but she doesn't have those things. She doesn't have rest yet. Naomi's wanting, to, wanting her to have that. She's seeking this out. So she comes up with a, a great plan. She says, Is not Boaz our relative, whose young women you were, with whose young women you were, you were working with her, his uh, female servants in the fields. See, he's, he's winnowing the barley. He's on the threshing floor. This Again, a, a community threshing floor, a, a wide area on a little bit of a rise, uh, probably right near the, where the fields were, uh, a wide, flat area that was cleared out that they did the threshing. They would, they would um, beat the grain to get as much of the chaff stuff off of it, and then they would take it and they would toss it up in the air, and they would get a little bit of, uh, uh, they'd want to be in a, a place, um, where they'd get a little bit of a breeze, so the breeze would, would blow that chaff away, and then the heavier grain would fall to the ground, and they, would, they could sweep it up, scoop it up, and then prepare it, and make bread and sustenance for it, Right? And that was the that was the plan. That was the 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 place. And and Naomi's aware of this, and so she's saying, uh, "Why don't you go there? That's where Boaz is. He is our relative." That that word's been used several times. Uh, Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, uh, or Naomi's dead husband. He is a he. He belongs to our family. We're part of the same uh, clan, extended family. He's he's a worthy man. Let's not forget about him. I, Naomi's thinking, wouldn't he make a good match for my daughter? Right? You're all thinking it. 
That's what's going on here. We're all wondering, when are these two going to hook up? Okay, they're perfect for each other. Especially as we read a little bit further about Ruth and hear more of her description and how what Boaz thinks about her. And we think... No, Naomi's thinking the same thing. She's, she's playing the matchmaker. She's the one who's, who's thinking, hey, what if we invited so-and-so to be with, at the same place as another person and they kind of, you know, that's the kind of thing we do, right? You've all played that. I'm not going to name any names. But we've all done it. I've had my hand in it. And it's very exciting stuff when it works out. And when it doesn't, oh boy. Anyway, Naomi's hoping this is going to work out. Okay? So, she, give, she gives Ruth some instructions. Wash yourself. Take a bath, in other words. Anoint yourself. And put on some good smelling perfume. And then put on your clothes. That's kind of what she's saying. In other words, she wasn't running around, you know, free. But get some, in other words, get some good clothes on. All right? Uh, what, what is she doing? Uh, make yourself presentable? No. Make yourself appealing. Make yourself desirable. That's what she's doing. Get dressed up. Okay? Um, is that okay? Is Naomi okay doing I mean, is that, a, is that good advice? Yeah. Uh, probably. Um, one of the things that we may not see here, uh, aside from just, oh, she's, she's supposed to look appealing and desirable. Um, we have a couple of hints of, of this kind of thing. Um, we have something in the ancient Near East described in Esther. Remember, remember the story of Esther? Uh, it's in, a, in, a, in some ways, it's similar to the story of Ruth. There's a heroine, and, and she's... Uh, She's attractive, uh, apparently, but she's, she, she goes through these beauty treatments, Esther does, right? So that she could then be presented to the king, and so he could look at her and go, huh, smells good, looks good, dressed well, yeah, okay, sounds good, you can be my queen. And then we have something in Ezekiel, chapter 16, I, I won't read um, all or or really much of that at all. But I want to refer to it and invite you to look at Ezekiel chapter 16 at another time where there God is describing how He has cared for His nation, Israel, His people. And where He saw them in a very fragile situation. And so He spread His cloak over Israel. And He dressed her, and he washed her, and he anointed her so that she could be his bride. So, what is Naomi suggesting Ruth do? Dress like a bride. And then go to him. And then, see where he's at, don't make yourself known. Okay, don't draw attention to this. There's a reason for that. Wait till he's finished eating and drinking. He will be satisfied. He will be drowsy. He'll be weary. He'll go lay down. Uh, Naomi knows this because he, she knows the tradition. She knows the practice. She knows what they usually do. 
And then when he lies down, note, make note of that. Then you're to go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. Whoa. Hello. Can we talk about this in church? What's going to happen? What's Ruth going to do? What's Boaz going to do? What's he going to tell Ruth to do? These are um, somewhat unusual instructions. Ladies, I would not recommend that you give these instructions to your daughters. Okay? But it happened. It happened here. Not everything is an example. Not everything in the Bible is an example for us to carry out in detail. But it, it is something to learn from, I hope. And I think what, one of the things we can learn from this is how eager Naomi was to seek rest for Ruth. He, there's no other description of this kind of thing going on in the Old Testament. We really don't have a, a description of that. Uh, of kind of instruction anywhere else. We don't know if that was a cultural thing or not. Now, some of the things were the the cloak, the uncovering of the feet. It had it definitely had significance. Okay, because you don't under uncover someone's feet or their lower legs unless there's some intimacy implied. Okay, that just didn't happen. Um, so there are some some aspects of that that are touched on in other places in the Bible. But these instructions for a, a young woman are quite unusual. What is, what is Naomi seeking? She is seeking not only, she's seeking rest and stability, she's seeking a husband. She wants Ruth to make herself known to Boaz in terms of a relationship. But... She's seeking an answer to her prayers. She's prayed, the Lord grant that you may find rest. Now that didn't happen in chapter 1 the way Naomi wanted it to or thought it would. But, but Naomi's still been praying that. I, I just got to know. I mean, the narrator hasn't told us that, but I, I just got to guess that that is still on her heart. Because she's saying, yes, go out to the fields. And she's saying, oh, you ran into Boaz? You, ran, you went to his field? He's a good man. Yes, he's one of our redeemers. He's a close relative. Stay close to him. This is a good thing. And so she's continuing in her mind. She's, I, I, her prayers are for her to find rest. And now she's going, I ought to do something about this. I ought to do something about this. Then, she sends her daughter out. Ruth says, all that you say I will do. Okay? And Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi waits. She waits. I, I, I hope that one of the things we take away from this is that as we pray for things, do what God leads us to do. <laughs> when God's giving us instructions, do it. Um, maybe that's one of the things we need to learn from Naomi. Because God redeems through human means. The human means of obedience, in the case of Ruth. The human means of prayer, in the case of Naomi, the human means of wisdom, 
She's, she's piecing this together. Notice too, I've got to say this before we move on to more of Ruth, that nowhere in this story does the narrator say, Naomi gave her bad advice. Nowhere in the story does the narrator say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe Naomi did that. She, nowhere does he say, Well, actually, she's disobeying a certain law. Nowhere does the, the narrator look with disapproval on this. Naomi is doing the best she can with what she has, making a, a good decision and trying to give wise advice to a young lady. And boy, I tell you what, young ladies, young men, listen to wise counsel. Okay? Listen to wise counsel. The people in your parents' generation who have been there and have gone through the heartaches, I've, I've said this to many of you personally, like my daughters, a lot, right? Right, Olivia? Mm, yeah. Listen, your parents have been there. They've seen things. They've done things. They've made mistakes. They've learned from them, and they want you to as well. Don't, don't, don't expect them to always give you chapter and verse. You know, the, God says this, or God told me to tell you, just accept wise counsel. I think that's good advice. And that's exactly what Ruth does. So while Naomi's waiting, Ruth goes. And here's what Ruth does. Ruth initiated a relationship with Boaz. That's what she's doing in this, in this situation. So she goes to the threshing floor. She did what her mother-in-law commanded when he had eaten and drunk. Now that doesn't mean he was inebriated. That doesn't mean he was a drunkard. Um, okay, just want you to know that. He ate and drank like people do when they're having a good time, hopefully, especially when they're at the end of a long day when typically they didn't they, they, they wouldn't break for meals like we do. We're, con we're so obsessed. We need our union breaks and our hour-long, hour-and-a-half-long lunches, and we got to eat all day long. And they tended to just eat all, or work all day, excuse me, and then eat at the end of the day and be satisfied with their, with their labor. And, and that's what he's doing. But one of the things that, that the narrator doesn't point out to us, and I think assumes, because he's talking to other people who are in the Near East, ancient Near East, and that is that in the harvest time, that's when the parties took place. You know, the harvest was in. Woohoo! This is exciting. And so typically, um, there was carousing. And, and oftentimes, it wasn't all that unexpected to have for, for these liaisons to take place at the threshing floor. That's, that's behind this whole story. So as Naomi's giving these instructions and, and the narrator doesn't, doesn't argue with her and we see Ruth going, okay, I'm going to do this, we're wondering, is this going to be one of those liaisons where the women of the city go out to the threshing floor and party with the men who've been working? What's going on here? Okay? So that maybe is in the back of our minds. But she sees, he lies down, she sneaks up, <laughs> she came softly, she didn't want to disturb him, didn't want to disturb, she, she's doing exactly what Naomi told her to do. Uncovered his feet and he laid down. Then at midnight, 
Not very many good things happen at midnight. For those of you who have been out at midnight a few times, not very, it's not very often that good things happen at midnight. And in fact, in the Old Testament, things that, mid, the things that happened at midnight weren't all that good either, such as the angel of death visiting the firstborn of Egypt at midnight. The same, same language, the same word is used there in Exodus chapter 12. Or in Job 34, one of, the, one of Job's friends suggests that destruction and death and things like that happen at midnight. And we're wondering what's going to happen at midnight in this story. Boaz is startled. He trembles or he, um, he is afraid. Something, something startles him. And he turns over and behold, the narrator is, help, narrator is helping us out. And look, and surprise, there's a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? That, that's a good question. Who are you? He's... What, what the heck is going on? This is not what he was expecting. This is not how he, he expected this night to go. And look at Ruth's response. I am Ruth, your servant. Nowhere in chapter 3, by the way, is Ruth described as the Moabite or the Moabitess. She's not described in terms of her old people in chapter 3. She comes... To, to Boaz and she says, this is who I am. There's a, there's a vulnerability in that and saying, this is who I really am. Uh, in the military, when we meet people, we, uh, we, talk, we, we refer to them and talk to them by their rank and their last name or their title. And so people call me Chaplain Johnson. But when I introduce myself, if I introduce myself to somebody and they want to know my first name, they want some inside information. They want to know me not just in that professional way, but they want to know me personally. And Ruth here is saying, I am Ruth. This is my name. Now, she wants him to know who she is. Obviously, you know me. You know I'm Ruth. But there's a, there's a deeper connotation to that. Uh, now, you, I want you to know my name. I'm speaking my name before you. It's not other people who are talking about me. I'm saying, here's what I want you to call me. I want you to call me Ruth. And I am your servant. And she uses a, a new term, a term that means I have status in your eyes and in your family. I am not a foreigner. I'm not, I'm not here as a foreigner. I'm not here as an outsider. I'm here as somebody who belongs to you, who's with you. And so she's saying, I'm eligible. I'm available for you. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And some of the translations, spread the, the corner of your garment over me. That's when, what many of the translations say. But 
the word, the more literal sense is wings. And she's using the exact same phrase that, they, that Boaz used in chapter 2. When they first talked and Boaz was reflecting on how amazing Ruth was and how she had done all and he'd heard all about how she had helped out Naomi and she'd followed her and he had said a prayer of Lord may the Lord repay you for what you've done and give you a great reward by him the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So that prayer of blessing, that prayer of what, what Boaz was desiring for Ruth and was acknowledging was her desire to come under the shelter of God's wings. Now Ruth is taking that same language and saying, you be the one. You be the means by which God is going to redeem my life. You be my shelter. You be my protector. Spread your wings over me. You're the one I'm looking to to be the means of God's grace and favor and redemption in my life. It all adds up to a proposal, in a sense. It doesn't usually happen that way, traditionally. It happens all kinds of different ways nowadays. But traditionally, you know, the man goes to the woman, proposes. Um, even, in the, even in this culture, the woman didn't have the power, the woman didn't take the initiative, but that's what, that's what Ruth is doing. Surprise, surprise. This story has all kinds of wonderful surprises. But notice, though, that she says, for you are a redeemer. She didn't just say, you are a worthy man. She could have said that. Uh, spread your wings over me because you are a worthy man, a man of valor, a mighty man, a wealthy man, a respected man. You're, some, you're everything I've wanted in a husband. That would have been good, right? That would have been romantic. Wow. But she goes, no, you're a redeemer. Well, that's not a bad thing. I'm, don't get me wrong. But what she's, what she's saying there is that you are the one that our family looks to for salvation. You're the one that we're looking to for stability, for help for refuge. It's you. You are the one we are looking to. So when she goes there and she initiates a relationship with Boaz, she's doing it with Naomi in mind. She's not just looking for... Naomi was seeking rest for Ruth. Should I not seek rest for you? Isn't that my job as a good mother? I need to seek rest, security, safety, um, uh, stability. Yes, I'm, I'm seeking that for you. But Ruth says, but Naomi, Naomi, it's not just me. I, it's not just me that needs a husband. We need redemption. Her family re- needs redemption. She has an inheritance that needs to be redeemed. She's come back, remember, from Moab with nothing. She has nothing. She's helpless too. 
So no, not just, don't just marry me, but redeem us, is what she's saying. So, Ruth waits. And Boaz responded honorably. Look at how Boaz responds. There's a lot to learn from this. I think there's a lot to learn as men from, from Boaz's response. How to be an honorable man. Um, but that's not necessarily the main emphasis of this story. Um, but it is, it is something that the narrator wants us to see in this character. The kind of honor, uh, the kind of honorable actions and responses that God uses for redemptive purposes. Okay? And, he's, and, he, and so that's what he's doing. So first of all, he offers her a blessing. May you be blessed by the Lord. She, he doesn't go, oh, whoa, whoa, lady. Um, uh, you're knocking on the wrong door, you know. I, I, I probably shouldn't share this, but there was, a, there was an experience I had um, as a young man living in a house with some roommates, and uh, had some friends who called me up. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing much. Yeah, could we come over and hang out? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, stop on by. Sure. And when the doorbell ringed, I opened the door, and there were a couple of young ladies who I knew. They had bathed, they had anointed themselves, and they had put, in on, put on their clothes. And I'm not sure I offered them a blessing. I did invite them to come in. Um, sure, yeah, come on in. But my first initial response was not to bless them. Oh, blessed are you, the Lord. You, 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 may the Lord bless you. Come in and wonderful. I feel so chosen by you. Um, rather, I felt, oh, I felt like, wow, I just got, I, I don't know, what's the term? I got cornered. But that's not, that's not Boaz. Um, I, I wish I would have acted more honorably as a young man. I can see myself failing at almost every point here as a young man. But that's not Boaz. He offers her a blessing. He offers her kindness. He, he, or he recognizes her kindness in doing what she did. Notice he says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. And people argue about, well, what's the last kindness? Was the, just take it for what it is, okay? She has come to him, and she has, has initiated this relationship with him, and he sees that as a kindness. And that's that word that, that's hidden under the word kindness is covenant love, that word for covenant or steadfast love in the Bible. And it's, it's love that's loyal, that it is caring, it is based on the connection that they have as family, as, as members of one clan, and as part of God's people. He recognizes that. This is why you're here, and I'm recognizing that. And, and he says, you didn't go after other men. Uh, the, the, the phrase here in our Bibles is, uh, you have not gone after young men, but it's actually the young men. It's a particular group of young men. In other words, you didn't go after the eligible young men of the city. 
You didn't go, well, he's handsome, I'm going after him. Or, he's rich, I'm going... Now, Boaz may have been handsome. We know he was wealthy. He obviously owned a field and he had servants. So, he obviously had wealth. But Ruth is not out for just any guy. She's not looking for some schmuck. She's choosing, in fact, she's choosing the family connection over all others. And that's kind of what he's implying. This is a great kindness to me. You've been kind to, to Naomi. You've been kind to your family. Now you're showing this kindness to me. You're coming to me. You're asking me to, to do this for you when you could have chosen any of these young guys. Probably men who were a lot younger who would have lived a lot longer provided for her a lot longer as well, perhaps. But she's saying, no, you are our Redeemer. And he recognizes that. Then he declares her a worthy woman. And here's how he does it. I'll do what you ask, he says. For all my fellow fellow townsmen, these are the, the people of the gate, for the whole gate... Is, is literally what he says. That the, the gate represents the gathering of people in that city. Everybody who comes in and out of the city knows that you are a worthy woman. Sound familiar? Boaz is a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1. And now, now uh, Ruth is a worthy woman here in verse 11 of chapter 3. It's the same word too. Thank you ESV for helping us pointing that out. Because... We, we need to see the similarities. The same, same word, the same idea. In fact, it, and in reference to women, it, it's not used very often, but it's used very prominently in Proverbs chapter 31. An excellent wife who can find. Actually, a good way to translate that, translate that would be a worthy woman who can find. She's worth more than rubies, etc., 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 right? Proverbs 31 describes this ideal woman that, ladies, I don't know how you're going to live up to that, but I don't know how we're going to live up to, you know, being Christ and loving you as Christ loves the church. So we're in the same same stew. We just have to try to live up to what God is calling us to be and, and showing us. But Proverbs 31, Ruth was, a. if I put it this way, Common, common vernacular. Ruth was a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> that's how, I mean, that's what he's doing. He's, he's recognizing you are a worthy woman. Uh, he's already described what she's done, but he's like, everybody knows that. And so he, it's kind of his way of, of uh, by saying, oh, yeah, everyone in the city knows you're a worthy woman. And I do too. You know, it's, it's his way of confessing what he really thinks and feels about her without putting it on too heavy. But then he agrees, right? He says, I will do for you what you ask in verse 11. And then in verse 13, I will redeem you if the Lord wills. But, but, he acknowledges something else. He acknowledges another. (sighs) I love this verse. It is true that I am a redeemer, he says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There is a redeemer closer to you. There is a redeemer who has a, 
as an even stronger obligation because he's nearer, closer in relation to your family, to Naomi and then of course then to her. He acknowledges that. And rather than saying, hey, let's not tell anybody. Let's just kind of make this happen. Let's do this. It sounds awesome to me. I like you. And you smell good. And I, I really like that outfit. <laughs> he says, it's not the right time. There's somebody else. Let's do this. Let's do this the right way. The rules are, the law is, the, the tradition is, however you want to look at it, there's another Redeemer who is in line to redeem your family. And it wouldn't be right for me to usurp that. And so, in, in relation to that, or, or, or following that, uh, look at what he does. He protects her integrity. He says, lie down until the morning. You know what he's saying? If I could use another term. Um, let's see. Lodge here until the morning. <laughs> Lodge. There's no, there's no implied sexual intercourse. There's no, hey, you like me, I like you, the time is right, it's after midnight, that's when we let it all hang out, or hang down, or whatever the song, whatever the lyrics are for the song. Hey, he's not saying, hey, this is a really uh, unique and opportune moment for me. It was an opportunity for him to show integrity, is what it was. And that's exactly what he did. So he says, okay, stay here, stay silent, but in the morning, you're going to need to leave quietly because otherwise people will think that this was all a liaison. This is all one of those harvest meetings at the threshing floor. And yeah, Ruth and Boaz are at the threshing floor, but it's not what other people might think. So he protects her integrity. He protects their relationship and her purity. She is a widow after all, but, he, but she is coming to her ready. She's coming to her, uh, coming, excuse me, she's coming to him pure and ready for marriage again. So he protects her integrity. He also provides generously too. So when they wake up, he says, hey, bring your garment probably the shawl that she was wearing, hold it out and measured out six of barley, six measures of barley. I'm not sure what measure that was, but it probably weighed at least as much as what she had gleaned that very first day when she had an, an ephah of barley. It was probably six sias uh, of barley. And so it probably added up to two Ephahs of barley? I don't know. You figure that out. You see if you can find that calculation. But she had somewhere between 50 and 80 pounds of grain that she was loaded up with. And here's what she said. Or here's what um, he, he said. You must not go back empty to your mother-in-law. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I will do what you say if this other Redeemer allows. And ultimately, he's saying, if God allows. So, Ruth goes back. 
he, uh, she, she meets Naomi, who has been waiting for her. And then Naomi says, verse 16, How did you fare, my daughter? Literally, she says, Who are you, my daughter? That's interesting, I think. Who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabitess? Or are you Ruth the Bethlehemite? Are you Ruth the, the, the wife of Boaz now? Like, that, that's like when, when somebody comes back from Disneyland and you're like, you're looking like, you know, take that glove off, let me see. Do you have a ring on your finger? You know? Who are you? Not, she, she wasn't confused. She wasn't, it wasn't so dark that she didn't see her walking through the door. She wanted to know what is her status. Have you found rest yet, Ruth, my daughter? And so, of course, Ruth describes what happened and tells her what what, um, Boaz had said. Take these six measures home with you. You must not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You must not return empty. They all waited. Naomi for Ruth. Ruth for Boaz. And then, as we see in verse 18, the little cliffhanger there, wait, she says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He's going to take care of this. So, I I don't know if I'm Boaz, I'm thinking, whoa, this is a turn of events. Was not expecting this. Um, I wonder what that guy's going to say. I wonder what that other redeemer is going to have to say about this. What do I say? How do I approach you? Do I say, hey, I want to do this thing, but you're first in line, but would you give me the honor? Or or, or what? We're still kind of, we're hanging kind of hanging on the edge here, wondering what's going to happen. How is this going to resolve? Because the fact is that they haven't found rest yet. The rest issue, the security and the stability issue hasn't been resolved yet. We don't know how that's going to turn out. But we do know this, that Naomi will no longer be empty. That's, that's key. She returned from Moab to Bethlehem empty. The Lord returned me empty. Here I am with nothing. Boaz and his generosity and the, and the gleaning of Ruth provided food for the cupboards. But now Boaz says, I'm, going, I'm not going to rest until I resolve this so that you will not be empty. Your home will be full again. That's hope. That's hope for for bitter circumstances right there. What is our challenge? I think as we look at this, we we, we can reflect on 
the means of redemption. It's true that God redeems through human means, and, and each of these characters has had a has had a a a, a, a part in that. Um, but the final the final thing that really comes back to us is that they all waited eagerly. I've already, I've already indicated that. Naomi waiting, Ruth waiting, Boaz waiting. They're all waiting for this resolution. They're all waiting eagerly for God to bring about their redemption through human means. And if you look at, at the, the story of the Bible, you'll, you'll see that that's the story of almost every person ever who's ever been called to be with God or to follow Him or to do something. Abraham waited for the son of promise. Joseph waited his time in prison. Then he waited through seven years of, of, of plenty and seven years of famine and finally reuniting with his family. And their family waited in, in Egypt for 400 some odd years. And Moses was exiled to Midian and he waited 40 years before he returned back and God used him to bring the people out of, of Egypt. Then they waited for God to bring water from the rock and food from heaven and quail out of the desert. And they, he, they waited for him to part the Red Sea. And then they waited for him to bring them through 40 years of the wilderness. Then they waited for the walls to come down after eight days of waiting. And then there were people like Hannah who waited for a son and David who waited for the kingship and the Jews waited in exile and then the Jews returned back and then they waited 400 some odd years for redemption from Christ and all creation currently is waiting for redemption Paul points that out to us in Romans chapter 8 we're all waiting. All creation is waiting eagerly. It's, it's in fact, it's groaning, waiting for that adoption to, to take place. We have been pledged to a heavenly Father, but now we're waiting to go be with Him in His home. And we're waiting for that because that's redemption for us. God redeems through human means. The center of the story of this chapter is where Boaz points out that there is a Redeemer nearer than I. There is another human being in the story, as of yet unnamed, who is going to, who has the right of redemption. We should put it that way. And when we, when we zoom out and we see this redemption theme, we see it as a thread that's running throughout all of the Bible. And, and all of those threads, all of those... You know how the, the, the crazy people, with their charts and their pictures in their apartment wall, you know, and there's threads and hanging out, or, or maybe, you, maybe the detectives are doing that. Well, if we could zoom out from this story, we'd see these threads going all over the place. And, they, and they, they, these people are interconnected, and these people are interconnected, and they're, they're pointing towards a central figure, a central redeemer, who is a human being, but not just a human being, right? We're looking at a person 
where divine and human meet, where God and man meet. There is a Redeemer. And we used to sing that in some of our songs. Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. That would have been kind of fun to sing, but it's nobody probably wouldn't. Most people wouldn't have known that song today. But there is a Redeemer. And He is a human being. God redeems through human means. And, and because God redeems through human means, God had to become a human being. God had to become a man. And that's what He did. He came, Jesus came, so that He could redeem not just Ruth, not just Naomi, not just a handful of people, not even Israel, but so He could offer that redemption to all people so that every one of us could go to Him and, 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 be, and, and experience the redemption of no longer being empty, no longer being outsiders, but part of His clan, and no longer being hopeless, but knowing that we, that our needs will be met for all of eternity. And so we are waiting too. So I, I ask you as you look, as we look at this story, and we, and we worship God who is our Redeemer, that we wait. And do this waiting actively. Wait as Naomi and Ruth and Boaz waited. They didn't rest in their waiting. I think we sometimes, we hear that wait in the Bible, and we think of it as sit in a waiting room, waiting for your name to be called, and just read a magazine or play Candy Crush. Maybe you're waiting for this sermon to be over, and I don't know. Wait actively, okay? Wait actively. Stay engaged. But wait, knowing what is the right thing and doing the right thing and, and doing what is honorable and using godly wisdom and not crossing lines that we shouldn't cross. Waiting, waiting by accepting, that, uh, accepting our humble position as His agents of redemption in the world. I can't tell you how often I have had to hear that message for myself. I am not ministering to anybody. Jesus is ministering to people. And He's using me. And He's using you. He wants to use you. So as you wait for your redemption, ultimate redemption, that we're waiting for, end times, you know, talking about end times and things like that. As we're waiting for that, realize that we're waiting with work to do. Paul reminded us several times of this in Philippians chapter 2. No, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. We are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's do that. As we wait for our ultimate redemption, live 
in that way. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he reminded the Christians there, we are his ambassadors. We represent Christ. And we're ambassadors who are bringing the ministry of reconciliation to other people. People need to be reconciled to him, to, to their creator. And so while we're waiting for God to redeem all things, we leave this place today as ministers of reconciliation, as Christ's ambassadors. I don't care what you're involved in or what your job is or what your status in life is. You are Christ's ambassadors if you are in Him. So accept it. Don't run away from it. Accept that position. Accept that God is going to use you to bring His light and His truth and His redemptive work into somebody else's life. His love ultimately compels us. Just as Ruth was motivated by this covenant love, this kindness that keeps being mentioned in every chapter, so we are motivated by the love that God has for us in Christ. That's powerful. Because Jesus died for you to be redeemed. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves me. And I thank God for that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. You are... You have been so good to us. Giving us your grace. Offering us redemption. uh, Offering it to us who are just poor... Uh, unworthy, um, lonely, and pathetic Moabites. We we don't have have a right to come to you for redemption. And and Lord, I I thank you that you are using human beings, uh, other people in our life, to bring about your redemptive purposes in us. Help us always to see, God, there is a Redeemer who loves us even more, who is even closer still. That ultimately, as you're redeeming us and you're using other people, that we recognize and acknowledge that it's your wings that shelter us, Heavenly Father. May that cause us to worship you as well as to serve you with all that we have to be used by you willingly and as a means of grace in our lives and in the lives of others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.